powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports Station. Powered by Kitsap Credit Union. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Here we go now. This hour of Bump and Stacy is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. Joining us now in studio, Brandon Gustafson of SeattleSports.com having a little Mariner spring training roundtable here. And Brandon, uh, I'm going to start with a trade from MLB Network's great Amsinger uh, just earlier this morning who would say, what about Fernando Tatis Ooh. to the Mariners for JP <laughs> and some young pitching? Uh, would you make the move? No. <laughs> I mean, I, I know a lot of fans are talking about, like, spend money, raise the payroll. That's not the way to spend money or pay the payroll. When, when you have a guy who gets asked about a wrist injury from a motorcycle accident and his response is, which motorcycle accident? And then he gets popped with the PEDs. Yeah, that, that's going to be a no for me. What do you say to people that are down on JP? You know, didn't have the greatest year last year. For sure. Uh, defensively fell off a little bit. The bat wasn't going I think he deserves uh, another shot at this thing. What, what, what are your thoughts there? Well, he, he started really hot. If you remember the right. first month, month and a half, two months of the year, you're talking about JP as like a potential all-star. It's like, oh, he's got a little more pop in his bat. He's driving the baseball more. You know, defense was fine. He's just he was kind of banged up, and that, that was the thing. And, and we've heard it from, from Jerry. We've heard it from Scott. They really want to kind of get him off his feet a little bit. If you're talking about a 162-game season and you can get JP to maybe play 130, 140 instead of in that 150-plus range, Maybe you're talking about somebody who can have a little bit more of an impact when when it comes to mm-hmm. driving the baseball, maybe keeping him off his feet helps him defensively, because as we've seen, he's a guy that he just he goes all out. He's trying to make diving plays. He's one of those guys that seems like second inning, his jersey's already just filthy. Right. So he's always trying to go out and make those kind of plays. So, yeah, I, I think that as a guy that's probably seven, eight, nine whole guy for this Mariners team, he, he definitely deserves another shot. And we've seen him be stellar defensively and sounds like he's getting a lot of work done in this offseason to, to get a little stronger too. All right, Brandon is with us in studio. We're doing kind of a Mariners pre-spring training roundtable. You can get your questions into the Mac and Jack's text line 866-979-3776. Don't forget you can also watch us live on the stream seattlesports.com slash video. That's also on your app and you can listen to us on your Seattle Sports app. Let's continue this uh, right now. One of the most fascinating names for me in spring training is Jared Kelnick. He's not necessarily the player I'm most excited for for 2023. That would be, I mean, we talked about it, Julio, right? Luis Castillo, um, it could be Kirby. I mean, any one of those guys uh, are primed and ready for a big season. Kelnick is like, is he going to have a season? Like, is he going <laughs> to be able to make an impact? Yeah. What's he got to figure out? Like, what the talent is there, and that's what's so frustrating about yeah, him. Yeah, he, he's a true five-tool guy. He he hits for power. We've seen in the minor leagues that, that he hits for average. He runs. He's got a great throwing arm. He's he's a plus defender in left or right field. And, and as we saw last year when Julio went down towards the end, like, he can handle center field, and he really improved there. And, and honestly, we, we've heard from some guys that maybe his defensive prowess gives him a little bit of a longer leash, especially because he's got the ability to hit the ball out of the ballpark but it's all it's all mental for him and I think for Jared whether it's spring training the beginning of this season you really you, you need to avoid like the the one for 20 stretches right out of the gate because I do think that unfortunately Jared's probably someone who if he gets off to a slow start yeah. you start looking up at that scoreboard and you're like oh man I'm hitting like 120 oh gosh I need I need to go x for x in order to get to like 250 or something like that right he needs to avoid the slow start because that's kind of when we see things start to spiral for him he even when he first debuted he didn't get his first game second game he had two home runs right and just is like oh my gosh Jared's arrived like this is 
fantastic. And then all of a sudden you have like the one for 30 stretch, the over 30 stretch. He just needs to avoid those out of the gate. And you'll probably see somebody that that could be probably a league average outfielder. And and that's certainly a win given what we've seen the last two years. Mm Well, we knew this was going to go down, but uh, Dylan Moore signs a deal. Yeah. Um, him and Colton Warner are going to platoon at second base. How much better is second base with those two and not Adam Frazier there? <laughs> Adam's a cool guy, and that dude worked really, really hard. It is just too bad it didn't work out. He's a guy who hits the ball really – he's a soft guy. He sprays the ball, doesn't hit it very hard, and it just it just didn't work out, and that's okay. And then you move on from that. Uh, Colton Wong is somebody who last year hit right-handers really well, had struggles against lefties, and that's why you're going to have that platoon. But we've seen Moore be a plus uh, defender across the diamond, second base, infield, outfield. He, he's a good he's a good defender, and he's got some pop, and he particularly handles left-handed pitching. Colton Wong's a two-time Gold Glover who is OPSing you know at least 750, sometimes better against right-handed pitching. So it, it, I know some people don't like the idea of a platoon. It's like, well, if you have two second basemen doing this, you don't have a second baseman and I get it but if if by the end of the year and obviously you're assuming health and all this like if you look at wins above replacement maybe OPS just just overall run production like this this is a tandem that could probably be one of the the, the eight to ten best second base just production standpoint in baseball uh, Colton Wong alone was probably one of the nine ten best second basemen last year that's a huge improvement from what they got from Adam mm-hmm. Frazier last year just really didn't give them a whole lot of anything on the offensive side obviously left field continues to be a question probably the biggest question for this team in an ideal world you would have Jared Kelnick take off if he doesn't you do have some other options right Taylor Trump if Sam Haggerty gets healthy, like you've got a couple guys you could cycle in there. Do you think that this team, if they start to be really competitive, they want to get to the playoffs, if they want to make a deep push, may have a deadline for when they want to see um, kind of stability there before they make a trade? Yeah, it, it, it's tough because, I mean, Justin Hollander talked to you guys like you got to give those guys a runway. Yeah. But at the same time. How long can you give this certain guy or this certain position a leash when you have uh, 25 other guys that are ready to win now mm-hmm. and that that's kind of the that's the the tough juggling act because it's like well do we have enough skill where we can kind of give this leash a little longer or is it something where we've seen stretches got to be good yeah we have stretches where other guys aren't hitting we've seen ty get cold i mean julio had that really fir- rough uh, first month of the year so it's like man we do need a little bit more from that the tough thing is typically in-season trades are about pitching. You don't typically see too many notable bats, big bats get moved. Like the Juan Soto deal last year, very different. Those kind of moves don't typically happen. And honestly, the Mariners don't have the ability right now probably to go out and get one of those top-end bats like a Brian Reynolds compared to other teams that need them. Um, but if you're talking about just, say, Jared makes the opening day roster and you're looking at left field and you're probably talking maybe mid-May, end of May. Like I think you give him a month and a half, two months, just to try to see if he can kind of get this going. And then if not, then you have the Taylor Trammells. Uh, A.J. Pollock's a veteran guy. Sam Haggerty's a utility guy. Even Dylan Moore. Uh, Cade Marlowe's a prospect that they're really high on, and he's probably the only prospect bat that's close to debuting. So they, they do have some options. They're not all like great, sexy options by any means, and they're not going to be able to go out and add that in a trade. But, I mean, it, it, they're, they're in a better spot with the overall depth of their roster than they were this time last year by a lot. Our guy Mike Lefko got me excited yesterday. He puts out a, a tweet. He goes, man, MLB Network about to rank their top 10 catchers. Our oh. dude should be on this list. <laughs> 
I saw the list <gasps> and I saw two Blue Jays. It's bad. And not one what? Cal Raleigh on that list. It's bad. How crazy is this? Yeah, my, my first reaction was looking at the Blue Jays thing. I'm like, okay, like I know Danny Jansen and like Danny Jansen is a is a good hitter and I'm but and he was number nine on that list. And I looked at him and I was like, this guy played seventy games last year and caught like fifty five. Right. And, and Cal led the position in home runs. He's a gold glove finalist. He throws guys out. How is right? he not on this list? It, I don't know. Curtis <laughs> and, knows. Yeah. Oh, oh, bias? oh, we know yeah. exactly why. <laughs> Not only is it East Coast bias, it's Canadian bias. No, it's, br- it's brutal. A classic. No, it, it's it's really bad. Like, is it like, oh, the, oh, crap. We forgot to plug Cal's numbers into the shredder machine. Or yeah. is it like, hey, the shredder machine's on the fritz. We need to unplug that thing and plug it back in. No, there's there's no excuse for it. I mean, I, just looking at the list and the guys they have, I like I would probably put Cal fifth or sixth mm-hmm. personally. And obviously leading the position in home runs, I think, is a big deal. If they're acting like there's not like one consistent calling card to hang on, then that's just not right. <laughs> it's not uh, great. Tell us all what's happening with the shift this year. Um, Remind us of the rule change and who might benefit the most on Seattle squad. Yeah, so as far as the shift goes, it's going to be kind of like if you're watching uh, a Little League game or a high school game or even even some college games. You're going to have two infielders on each side of second base. You have to have two infielders on each side of the bag. And you have to have your feet in the dirt when the pitch is being delivered. So you're not going to see second baseman out in shallow right field just robbing 110-mile-an-hour singles <laughs> from, from left-handed mm-hmm. hitters. Uh, you're not going to see that anymore. So uh, as, as far as guys that it's going to impact the most, offensively, it's obviously the lefties. Cal Raleigh from the left-hand side, because he's a switch hitter, he was, I think, number three or four most shifted against player last year wow. in baseball by shift rate. Number one was actually Carlos Santana. <laughs> so Mariners had Mariners some guys that were losing. Losing some some production from that side of the plate. Uh, obviously, Jared Kelnick's when we were just talking about left-handed guy. Now that that shift's gone, maybe you're talking about him. Like, hey, instead of thinking kind of middle away, which is a lot of what you're taught growing up, and it, from either side of the plate. Try pulling the ball more. Just try hitting the ball really hard to that side. You're not going to get robbed of some would-be base hits like you would anymore. Hit the ball. If you do hit the ball up the middle, you don't have a shortstop that's right behind second base that's taking that away from you. Defensively, it 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 is going to put a lot of pressure on two guys we were just talking about, Colton Wong and Dylan Moore. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not out there robbing these left-handed guys uh, from being able to get hit. So how you kind of position those guys and handle that to to still be effective against against some really good left-handed hitters that you have in your division, Shohei, Jordan Alvarez, uh, Corey Seager come to mind. Uh, it's going to be a big deal, but one thing we do know, Mariners have one of the best in the business when it comes to infield coaches. Perry Hill is exceptional, and I'm sure he's kind of chomping at the bit to get down to Peoria and work with these guys. Our guy Evan White got paid, then he got hurt. Ain't seen him in a long <laughs> time. And I saw a scenario out there where they said, okay, what if Evan White moves over to first base and Ty France is now your DH? What do you think about this situation? Would you make that move or would you let Ty continue to do his thing? I mean, you, you need to see if, if Evan can can play. That's the first thing. And, and Evan is a really good athlete, and he's somebody who actually played a little bit of outfield kind of coming up in, in college and whatnot. So he's he's a good enough athlete to where maybe he could be a little bit of a super utility type in that sense play some first base, go out, play left field, right field, maybe get Ty off of his feet a little bit. When you're kind of looking at just who they have with their 26-man roster and kind of projecting that out, there's not really a great fit for Evan White right now based on just kind of the guys that they do have. So it's going to be a little bit of an uphill battle for him. I I think ultimately he just got to go to camp, got to see if you can get your timing down, stay healthy, hit, 
probably start in AAA and go from there because he was trying to work his way back last year and then had a setback towards the end and ended up not playing the last month, month and a half of the year. So the number one thing is just seeing if he's healthy. And and to me, Evan White, it's like that's kind of the cherry on top, right? Hey, if Evan White can hit now and, and is, a, is a big league run producer for you, that's just a win on top of mm-hmm. everything else that you have. But he's not a guy that you should be counting on right now for the beginning of the year, maybe just the year in general. What's the situation with Marco and Flex in here? You kind of got two extra guys. On the one hand, it feels like a waste of potential trade capital, um, especially since Marco wasn't even on your playoff roster, can't go to the bullpen. You clearly aren't using Flexen as a regular starter. However, on the other hand, you were exceptionally healthy last year. You have two backup options. I mean, what's kind of the best situation for Seattle here? It is it is interesting because, as you said, like, flex and move to the bullpen. You're like, okay, you know, maybe they'll carve out a little role for him. Nope. Dude barely played to the point where we're like, <laughs> are they openly trying like to prevent this guy theory. from getting his money? Like, what is going on? Guy barely got used. But they're both, they're both solid number four, number five type starters. And I do think that... I think that ultimately one of those guys will get dealt, and I would lean towards flexing. He's only got the one year left on his deal. Marco has a little bit left um, as far as years go and and dollars. So I, I think Flexen ultimately gets moved in part because the World Baseball Classic is in is in spring training. We've seen guys go down pitching, especially during that tournament. Happened with the Mariners with Drew Smiley a few years back. Would not surprise me one bit if somebody goes out there, pitches, oh, I don't know if he can go for opening day, whatnot, and that's when you kind of see flex and get dealt out. But it is a good problem to have. You can't have too much pitching. You can't have too much starting pitching. But they certainly got options. They have six big league-ready guys. Bryce Miller's their top pitching prospect. He's really close. They have a few other pitching prospects that are knocking on the door, too. So, uh, But ultimately, I, I, I would be surprised if Chris Flexen's on the open day roster I, I still would I think that as we kind of get going and get a little closer I do think maybe you'll start to see some of that trade stuff pick up service was excited about the shift obviously more balls in play and uh, the bases being bigger he says it's going to help them how were the Mariners last year when it came to base running and do you think this gives them an edge in this division or kind of it's not that big of a deal. I mean, overall base running, like they they were pretty good. They didn't have a ton of guys that were on the move. Julio was running a ton at the beginning of the year, and then we saw him kind of slow down. And obviously, you don't want your best guy getting hurt by stealing a base. You want him in the batter's box. You want him playing every day. Dylan Moore still like 22 bases. Mm-hmm. Sam Haggerty's a speed guy. So they have some people that can take advantage of it. Colton Wong, even though he's kind of, a, I think he's like a 10 or 11 year vet, something like that. He can still move a little bit too. So it will be interesting to see some guys maybe maybe do get on the move a little bit. As far as just quality of base running, they're, they're a pretty good team. They're, they're a well-coached team. They're a smart team. They don't run into a ton of outs or anything like that, which, which is which is really good, and that's kind of a hallmark of a good team. Um, I, I do think that ultimately it's just it's going to be more about the defense for the Mariners than than anything else. They're a team that really benefited from the shift in terms of preventing runs. You hear that a lot. Scott talk about it. Run prevention. That's not just. That's not just, hey, we have really good pitching. That's we're putting our guys in the right spot to to limit what these guys do in terms of an overall scoring, taking extra bases and, and whatnot, just getting outs. It's just the most simple thing. It's all got to get those 27 outs if you're going to win a game. Uh, so the base running side of it, will it, that remains to be seen. But I do think overall the shift is going to have more of an impact on just left-handed guys getting more hits and then just what you're seeing out of your second baseman and your shortstop. Um, I think that sometimes when it's your team, baseball is especially regional, you can get so 
insular and you can kind of just look at the problems that you see. Like when I look at the Mariners, I'm like, I'm excited about this player. I wish they would have gotten this player. I wish they would have spent here. I love this, right? Like you kind of get critical and also you only let yourself get excited about certain things. But Brandon, I think if we take a step back, you mentioned this, the Mariners stack up pretty well. How, where do the Mariners stack up in the American League? They're somewhere between two and four. Yeah. I, I, I do. I think that Houston's obviously the runaway favorite. Why wouldn't they? Even though you lose Verlander, you get Jose Abreu, you still have a ton of really good pitching. You just so won the World Series, right? That's still going to be a 100-plus win team. The Yankees bring back Aaron Judge, and they've got some good guys in the top end of their rotation. They have some bullpen guys, but... I think the Mariners stack up pretty well with them. I don't think their lineup is that deep. They're they're actually probably relying on some younger guys more so than the Mariners are with some of their rookies, top prospects. Blue Jays are going to be pretty good again. I, I, I do think that the Mariners are somewhere in that two to four range with those guys behind mm-hmm. Houston. And then the next tier is probably Cleveland, maybe Tampa Bay. Um, and and I, I still think where you're probably still a year away from Texas and the Angels maybe competing for a playoff spot. Angels will be interesting because obviously Shohei Otani is a looming free agent. I, I just don't think they make the playoff this year but Mariners are probably second or third if I had to say which which is a good thing and, yeah. and, and you know everybody's like oh they didn't do this they didn't do that it's like well you have your young guys growing. You got Teoscar Hernandez. Like th- this is still on paper. This is a really, really good ball club. Um, okay, so you guys can read Brandon's work. He has regular coverage every single day. He is uh, just yards away from us in the sports pit, making sure that SeattleSports.com is in tip-top shape with his own columns, and then he edits plenty of the columns you can see from contributors on the station. You can also see that on the Seattle Sports app. Just hit the little news icon, and you can see all the articles in there, beginning with I think the Mariners articles. Uh, last thing, Brandon, before we let you go tell us what we can ex- uh, expect on the site this week yeah so jerry depoto was with dave and bob at the mariners media luncheon and and one of my favorite things is talking about prospects who's coming up i mentioned Cade marlowe and bryce miller so jerry gave some insight on those two and a few other things and i have a column coming out tomorrow by matt brash and i'll just give you basically the the general gist of it i think this time next year we're talking about matt brash how we're talking about andres munoz I, I genuinely think he's going to be their best reliever this upcoming season and i kind of lay out why i think that's the case so what make sure to a team <laughs> <laughs> Make sure to check that out. That'll be up tomorrow morning. Wow, doing my job. Exactly. I Love said it. that. I said that as a tease. Yeah. Uh, okay, you guys. <laughs> SeattleSports.com, uh, the news icon in the Seattle Sports app. He is Brandon Gustafson. Thank you so much for joining us, hey, Brandon. Guys. G. BG. All right, let's get to Four Down Territory. This, this is Four Down Territory. Going inside, inside the, the game. game with former Seahawks and Coog wide receiver Michael Bumpus. Bumpus. First down, Bump. We keep getting feedback from texters that Gino's a check down Charlie. Is that true? Well, I mean, so I feel so much smarter after BG leaves us, you know what I mean? I know. With that knowledge. I'm like, t- I feel like by agreeing with his Mariners takes, they become my Mariners takes. Yeah. Text line loving him. They say this man's voice belongs on the radio. This belongs. comes from the 206. Yeah. And as someone who has a great radio voice, I, I agree. I will say pipes. I've never once been told I have a good radio voice. <laughs> yeah, a good radio voice. Mm, I... Mm, you got it. First down. First down. First down. We're moving on. Check down Charlie. And I'm looking at the numbers like, oh, is it really a check down Charlie? Or are my eyes deceiving me? Am I being biased? And I just love Gino so much that I don't believe it. So now I start looking at just his pass attempts. All right. When pass is traveling 10 yards or less. 
Okay, he had 165 completions. I'm looking across the league and saying, what's everybody else doing? Mahomes had 202 of those. Burrow had 170. Herbert had 185. And Brady had 177. But we all know that people throw the ball at different rates. Yeah. So I'm looking at attempts. Mahomes, 648 attempts. 31% of his passes were 10 yards and under. Burrow, 28%. Herbert, 26%. Brady, 24%. And Geno, 31%. So I'm looking at his numbers and I go, he's 31% just like Patrick Mahomes. So is he really a check down Charlie or is he just running the offense? So, and passes traveling 40 yards. So now I'm thinking, all right, does he push the ball down the field? He only has six passes that travel 40 plus yards down the field. So I look at those numbers and I say, okay, he can throw the ball down the field. That's not the offense. He's not really a check down Charlie because no one says that about Patrick Mahomes. I think that the offense that the Seahawks run will require him to hit those passes more often than these other guys. So check down Charlie, I wouldn't say that, but I would say that he takes advantage of the underneath stuff. Second down. Which part of the Seahawks offense, if improved, will make them even more dangerous next year? Before I critique it, I'm going to show us some love. In the red zone, Geno Smith had 18 touchdowns, zero interceptions. But here's where he struggled just a little bit. He was 41 to 67 in the red zone. That's 53% completion rate. Inside the 10, he had 50% completion rate. And he was sacked six times. That's tied for the most. So all I'm saying is, look, keep throwing your touchdowns. But we got to be a little more efficient when that field shrinks, which is hard to do because there's less less grass for the defense to cover. But there are guys out there doing it at a high level. So if there's anything I can say is just, look, more completions, keep the touchdowns going improve that in the red zone this offense looks better third down let's take a look at rookie running back ken walker who had a great season what did he do well but also what can he improve on we can all improve right well everyone can improve everyone right can improve. every day we hustling Not to, just to you, improve ken. here's what he did well runs of 10 plus yards he had 27 of those that's 10th in the nfl 20 plus yards he had four that's seven 30 plus yards he had three that's second 40 plus yards he had three that's tied for second 50 plus yards he had three that's first in the nfl this guy's explosive we know that where he can get better at and i thought he was already good at this and these numbers jacked me up yards after first contact you only had 25 yards after first contact now you got guys like josh jacobs who are up there pollard chubb and henry they're averaging around 2.5 to 2.7 yards after first contact walker is around 1.8 so, yes, he had a great season, but there's always things that you can work on. If I'm Walker, it's, man, absorbing that first contact, getting north-south. We saw him get east-west. I think that's where he got in trouble with that. Fourth down. All right, Aaron Rodgers says that he's not going to San Fran, but why is it crazy that Rodgers wouldn't even consider the 49ers as a possible destination next season? Well, well, let's just put it out there. The 49ers said they're not looking for a veteran quarterback. They were like, we don't want you either. uh, Pump the brakes, Aaron. You can't break up with us. All right, but (laughs) the fact that Aaron Rodgers wouldn't consider if they were interested is crazy to me. One, he's from California. We mentioned earlier his family's from California. Not a good relationship with his family. But the Niners are ready to go. We've been saying this all week. If the Niners had Aaron Rodgers at the quarterback position, they are probably playing in the Super Bowl this year if he's over there. So what what messes me up is like, don't you play to win Super Bowls? Aren't you at the point of your career where you want to win a Super Bowl every single year? This goes back and makes me think, oh, he's all about himself. He wants to get that MVP because with the 49ers, there's other guys taking your shine. There's George Kittle. There's McCaffrey. There's Debo. There's that defense. There's Nick Bosa. There's Fred Warner. You have all of these pieces over there with the 49ers that says you are good to go. So the fact that he wouldn't consider San Fran, as he says, it just baffles me. It makes me think that family has something to do with it and that he wants all of the shine. He's more concerned about MVPs 
but the Niners said they don't want him anyway. Exactly. So that's no longer an option. Well, and there's also that whole story about, and it's not really a story, it really happened, about the 49ers not drafting Aaron Rodgers back in 2005. He grew up in the Bay Area, grew up as a 49ers fan, and he says that they're going to regret not drafting me back in 2005. Key, back in 2005, Aaron, really? You want to be MVP? You want to go to a Super Bowl? You're going to hang on to this weird grudge you have about a team that didn't draft you? You were still drafted. You still ended up becoming an MVP and becoming a longtime starter. You're going to hang on to some kind of weird grudge you have from 2005 with a GM who's not there anymore? Yep. I guess. That's Aaron Rodgers. Makes sense. That's what you want to do. Go for it. That's totally fine. Uh, All right. You are listening to Bump and Stacy this hour brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. Coming up in the timeline, we'll talk about that MLB top 10 catchers. Uh, Very notable name emitted from that one. Um, Also, uh, there's a, a little Twitter thread that got me thinking about some of the best performances in sports we have ever seen. That's coming up next. This is the timeline with Bump and Stacy. Brought to you by 1 800 DUIOA. It is the timeline on Bump and Stacy, reading you the top stories you're going to see on your own timeline. Let's go ahead and start with the most recent this one happening on our own timeline. Via Shams, Kyrie Irving has demanded a trade from the Nets ahead of Thursday's trade deadline. He said that if the team will not deal him by Thursday's trade deadline, then he is walking in free agency no matter what. I'm not going to be with you, Brooklyn, whether it's the rest of this year or moving on after this year. Um, How long until we see Kyrie as a Laker bump? Tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. I think you're right. you think tomorrow? Come to I LA, baby. Right. We need you. We need you. We want you. We love you. All right. all they have team to give up, up with LeBron. I don't know. I don't care what they got to give up. Nobody else on the team is doing anything. As long as it ain't Anthony Davis, it ain't going to be Anthony Davis. As long as it's not LeBron, it ain't going to be LeBron. Take them all. Give me Kyrie. Okay. I'm moving on. <laughs> Trade, uh, what is it? Scotty Pippen Jr. Scottie. Matt Matt Ryan, the not the football Matt Ryan. Oh, not the Matt football Ryan. Matt Ryan. Yeah. Not that Matt Ryan from the, they were like, you know what? We're just going with old <laughs> players. Just bring in anyone that can help us. Uh, all right. Next up here, MLB Network has revealed their top 10 catchers in baseball. And Cal Raleigh is number, sorry, I'm just scrolling down the list here. Oh, he's not on it. He's not on it, which is Big crazy. crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Cal Raleigh. Not on the list of top 10 catchers. Um, he didn't really do anything of note in... Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. Uh, my, my stats uh, are showing me here that he led all catchers in home runs. This doesn't seem to add up. He was a gold glove finalist. Yeah. What am I missing here? I don't know. What are we missing? What else does he need to do? I don't get it. I was, I was ready. I'm watching MLB Network ready. Here we go. Where's Kyle? <laughs> all right, no, not number one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six. He's got to be in here somewhere. But no, I was disappointed, man. Extremely disappointed. But you know what? Something tells me that Kyle isn't concerned with that. We'll be mad for you, Kyle. Kyle, he's going to show up and do his job. Yeah, I don't think Kyle really cares or is too. Actually, you know what? We don't know that Kyle doesn't care. I would care. If I had the most home runs of any catcher last year and was a gold glove finalist and they came up with 10, that means you had 10 guys. Before you even, like, I wasn't even on the list. You definitively thought 10 guys were better than me. I couldn't even be eight. Not just that. <laughs> you can throw me a bone at nine. They had two from the same team. They had uh, right. Blue Jays' starting catcher and their backup catcher, Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen, which is like, no, first off. <laughs> there were some other uh, disrespectful rankings, too. Luis Castillo did not make the top 10 starting pitchers list, which I find to be just criminal that they would leave him off the list uh like you cannot say that cal raleigh is not a top 10 catcher in baseball no you can't with a straight face yeah like you cannot make a sound fair and 
borderline objective versus subjective argument about 10 guys ahead of Cal Raleigh. Correct. Like when Brandon was in here, he was like, uh, who's who's the dang guy that's the second guy for the Blue Jays? Because they have the best Danny catcher Jansen. situation, Danny Jensen. And yeah. it was like, yeah, he's great. He caught 50 games. Well, and I get that baseball is so local where like it's not often the national scene is able to see everything, but like you have got to be able to see what Cal Raleigh brought to the Mariners mm-hmm. last year, not just on the field, but also just statistically his ranks among catchers were some of the best of anybody in all of baseball. I mean, we talked about it with Brandon. This yeah. is classic East Coast bias. Classic. 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 Oh. oh, next up in the timeline, this one about Tony Romo. CBS had an intervention. Yeah, here's Uh-oh. what happened, according to a couple different outlets. This one's, uh, well, I, I, there's a million and five. Um, okay, so uh, the issue is that CBS Sports executives reportedly recognized uh, that Tony Romo's NFL analysis had faded. So they kind of staged an intervention. Um, allegedly, what happened is that his broadcast p- uh, partner, Jim Nance, a couple executives at CBS, including Chairman Sean McManus and the lead game producer, flew um, to Romo's Dallas home to basically confront him and say, like, hey, uh, you know, let's get back on track. A CBS, I should say this, sports spokesperson said, to call this an intervention is a complete mischaracterization. We meet regularly with all of our on-air talent. Oh, you you fly to their house and meet with them? I'm sure you meet on Zoom. I'm sure you meet in the hotel before, you know, the night before a game or whatnot. And all this tells me is that sometimes people get comfortable. You know, and yeah. that that honeymoon phase is worn off. Remember when Tony Romo was was predicting all the plays and he was locked in? I think sometimes you, you just need a reminder. I think Tony Romo's still good at his job, but I need a little kick in the butt sometimes. And that's what happened. 17 million. Yeah, you better be on point and be doing your research. Did you guys notice Tony? This allegedly happened before the start of the season. Did you notice either last season or at the beginning of this season or at any point that Tony Romo? Like, I don't remember outright thinking like oh i hate tony romo as a as a broadcaster no. i've always enjoyed him i know some people don't, I don't love think him so but i think it comes down to because um there's a lot of pre-production stuff that happens yes and when you sit down at a table and you're preparing for a game you can sniff out who's ready to go or not so i think that's where it shows up tony's always going to be able to get on the mic and watch a football game and tell you what's happening and why it's happening it's more of okay you we can tell in this meeting that you're not putting in the work that you used to put in yes and that was exactly what this was saying according to all this stuff this one's from awful announcing there's one from the new york post uh they just said like they wanted Tony Romo to study more. And I wonder if what happened is exactly that bump that someone who knew the game well was like, well, I just have to know football. I just have to be here and and talk to you about what I'm seeing without understanding, as I think many people do not until you're working in the field, how much prep goes into broadcasting. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not just, I think we all see jobs in sports and we think, oh, I could be a sideline reporter. Do you know how hard it is to be a sideline reporter? I see sideline reporters get so much hate. And uh, Jess used to do it for Wazoo. And I'm like, I know no one who put more work into her job exactly than Jessamine. And not even that, but like we know plenty of people in the industry who are doing random stuff with broadcasting or with whatever. And it's like, do you know how hard it is to do all those jobs? You think they just go and show up uh, and talk about like, it's hey. Like, 
people who think we show up to our jobs yeah, and just you turn think on I the just... mics and go. <laughs> we don't have a structure to this show or, you know, we just kind of dial up guests whenever we feel or like, like little things oh i love someone if, if you think gino should be here why don't you call him and ask it's like do you know how many steps it takes to get somebody like gino <laughs> smith like on a show little things like not liking a question like someone critiqued the other day for asking a question uh, of a baseball guest the first one was like you know kind of like you got to warm the guests up they can't sit down or you can't be like so why'd you make that decision in yeah. the in the playoffs it's just, just grill them so i wonder if that's what happened with tony romo he's so smart i enjoy his coverage but you're right, Bump. I wonder if he just got comfortable being like, I know football. I don't need to study football. You don't need to study football. You there, need to study those teams, though, and how to do your and, work. And the producers set you up on TV. They set you up. They give you all this information. They send you emails. They make sure you're ready to go. And it's it's real easy. I've worked with people sometimes where I'm like, oh, he ain't ready to go today. Really? Yeah. It Have happens. you ever had to pick up the slack? Yeah, you know, you know, as a as a host, that's that's what you do. My guys are good. I'm talking about in other areas. Yeah. I'm not throwing nobody under the bus, though. I have to do it every day. <laughs> wow. No, I'm just Damn. kidding. I think, I think the opposite is true. I think the opposite is true. Uh, all right. Next up here in the timeline, uh, we're going back to the Lakers for this one. Ticket prices are skyrocketing for Lakers games as LeBron James is now just days away from passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record. That's it. I'm letting. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Here's the well, thing. I mean, it, looking it, at these prices, the get-in price for February seventh at Staples Center. Well, actually, no. What is it called now? But Crypto.com. Crypto.com. Well, it's over a thousand dollars. It's Staples. Yeah. The cheapest one you can get is three hundred twenty-six dollars. And the I mean, average price is the $1, average $1, single ticket. Single ticket cost is one thousand one hundred and fifty-two. Yeah, and good good for LeBron. You play long enough, you have the career he's he's had. He's supposed to break all these records. Um, it doesn't move me. I'm not excited about it. I think Kareem is one of the best, if not the best, basketball player of all time. He's in that conversation, and so is LeBron. So for all the Le- LeBron guys out there, enjoy this moment, but I'd much rather be making a push to the playoffs at this point of hot, the year. Hot take. I don't see the appeal of going to games where some kind of record is going to be set. Why is that? Really? Yeah. Why is that? I would rather spend that kind of money. If it's $1,000 that I'm spending on a game, which is a lot of money, I want to spend it on a game that's like a major of, playoff game. Yeah. A game of implications. That would, that's more memorable. It, yes. Um, or like two great teams. Or or I could go two great headliners if it's, you know, like the two best players in the league facing off. The idea of... Hey, he's setting games. this record or milestone. I'm like, ah. I, yeah. I, maybe I'm not like a pure classic sports person who like loves that kind of so, experience. I just like, ah, I can see it on TV. I see your point. And I think milestones are cool in the moment. And like I was at the Seahawks game in 2000, I think nine, when Chris Johnson surpassed 2000 yards and like. It happened, and there was, like, no acknowledgement of it Mm -hmm. or anything, and it was very, like, eh, all right, whatever. Now, someone's last game is different. Yes. Who's your favorite athlete of all time? Me? Yeah. When I was younger? Just in general, who's your favorite athlete of of all time? Mm. I regret to inform you I did like Aaron Rodgers a lot when I was younger, as well as Peyton Manning, Uh, Reggie Bush. Well, I was— Probably maybe Reggie Bush when he was in college. Um. I was in attendance yeah. for Edgar Martinez's last game at uh, T-Mobile Park, yeah. then Safeco Field. And I vividly remember that day. See, that's different. Yeah. I would go to a game that was like, it's Griffey's last game. It's Edgar's last game. I was too young at the time, but that would have been 
something I can understand. Okay. Or if it was like Kobe's last game, like mm-hmm. Kobe's your favorite athlete. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't spend a lot of money for a milestone. Last games, championships, implications. I'm with well, you. I also think there. NBA milestones aren't as celebrated as like baseball milestones. Like if somebody set the true the, set the career home run record nowadays, like that'd be a big deal. But well, AL record or no? I'm talking <laughs> yeah, Aaron Judge. No, I'm talking about like breaking Barry Bonds's record. Yeah, uh, but like. We all saw this coming from LeBron for years. Like, this is just kind of inevitable that he was going to become the all-time leading scorer because of his longevity. You watch how they celebrate LeBron. I oh, get it'll, it. be, they're, they're uh, it'll be a stop big deal. The game. Yeah. He's going to wave of to the course. crowd. You it's, know what? It's going to be a Can I pause deal. this because I want to have kind of a related conversation? It's not going to be about whatever game he's in when he does this, I'm guessing. But I saw a really good tweet about some of the best single performances ever from any athlete. And I want us to go over our list. If you guys have your own, you can send them in now, 866-979-3776. Quickly, the IRG injury report brought to you by IRG Physical and Hand Therapy. Jerry DePoto gave updates on Tom Murphy, Sam Haggerty, and Dylan Moore at Wednesday's media luncheon. Cal's ready to go. Uh, Murph, ready to go. Uh, all full baseball activity. Uh, same is true for Sam Haggerty. He's a little behind the others, uh, but he started his full baseball activity, I believe, last week. And he's been hitting for, you know, for quite some time now. So Hag's in a good place. I think Demo had a a bit of a setback, but nothing to to create concern as it relates to opening day. Uh, We'll get a better idea once we're down in Arizona, but in a pretty good place. All right, a fun Friday conversation coming up next. The best single single game performance from any athlete you've ever seen in your life. That's next. Live from the Alaska Airlines Studio, this is Seattle Sports Station. You're listening to Bumpin' Stacy, Powered by Kitsap Credit Union. It's a Friday. We're chilling. We're relaxing. We're having some fun. This one has nothing to do with the Seahawks, unless your answer does. Nothing to do with the Mariners, unless your answer does. So my question for you, what is the best performance you have ever seen? The best performance you have ever seen. This is inspired by a tweet I saw that said, what is the best I'm him performance you've ever seen? Meaning like, I'm that guy. This guy took over. I don't mean like, oh, I loved seeing this 80-yard touchdown from the... No, 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 no. I'm talking about a game where there was one name we were all talking about after this game, and it was this guy because he took over. The best one you've ever seen, period, Bump, what's your answer? I got a lot here on the Mac and Jack's text line. Uh, you already know where I'm going. I already know. Kobe's 81 and then his 65 against the Jazz in his final game. But there's one that a, a performance that turned me on to golf. 1997, Tiger Woods is the first African-American to win the Masters. 18 under by 12 strokes, which was a record. It probably still is a record. Mm-hmm. I saw Tiger in that red walking down. Uh, the 18th fairway, and I go, yep, I'm going to do that. I want to play golf. That's what got me into it, that moment right there. I love it. Uh, Curtis, you said that you had one that none of us had. Because I was thinking of uh, Taylor and I during the break, we're talking about Reggie Bush um, having his little step back. Like, there was just a couple games that you could say for Bush. But I'm talking about, like, where that guy not only won that game, but it was like, I've never seen anything like this. Like, bump, it changed the course of the sports that you loved. Curtis, what was your answer? Uh, my answer is it would be Damian Lillard against Oklahoma City where he hits the three Ooh. to win the game. You're right. None uh, of us said that. That three-pointer gave him 50 points on the night, too, which is a lost storyline from that game because of how iconic that shot was. 
Uh, but that game, he absolutely took over and then delivered in a moment where everybody knew he was going to. Like, it was stunning just watching somebody call his shot in that way and then also have the game of his life in that moment, too. Yes. Now, I don't know that this has quite the same swag, but certainly uh, a lot of historic uh, impact. What about Felix's perfect game? Yeah. Yep. Because when you're a filthy pitcher, like, I don't know how easy it is to have a perfect game when you're like, I'm just okay. But, like, he had filthy stuff. Like, that yes. might be one of them, too. That's, well, and from about the second inning on, that's you knew the thing. he was going to deliver. That's impressive, man. Whatever Perfect game. I mean, that's the only time, it, the in my time. opinion, you can be perfect is in baseball, throwing a perfect game. Even if you have dominant performances in basketball, you're going to miss a couple shots. In football, uh, you might drop a pass or two or have an incompletion. Mm-hmm. But perfection, the only time I've ever seen it is in baseball. Uh, Edgar in game four of the Yankee series in 95 and Castillo yeah, in had, game one. Edgar had like seven RBIs in that game. Yeah, and Castillo in game one. Against Toronto, Toronto last year. Yeah, he was just okay. mowing everybody down. By the way, so, the call of Damian Lillard is oh, incredible yeah. because Kevin Calabro is on the call. Lillard with 47 tonight, working it down to 2-1, to one, a deep three. Oh! What? Blazers win the series, a walk-off three from Lillard. That's it. Chills. Man. Chills. And how calm he was, too. Like, so <laughs> Waving calm. Waving to the OKC bench. But it just, it, it, the, and it's not even like the wave where you're going left and right. It's like the, the open and closed hand. Yeah. Like, all right, pumpkin. Yep. See ya. See ya. See you later. Have a good time on the bye on bye. flight. <laughs> that um, was awesome. Someone said Mike Cameron's four home run game. I was going to say a couple four home run games because I think that's that's when you look at a guy and you're like, this guy took over. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, this guy you have uh, Willie Mays in there. Um, Mike Cameron's done it. You have a couple guys that have done it. Sean Green, um, Josh Hamilton for the Rangers in 2012 is what I was kind of thinking. He had 18 total bases, uh, home runs in the first, third, seventh, and eighth. I know, and this is what kills me, I know that there's a game in here that's like messy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm like, yeah. bump, help me. Like, I know that there's a game in here that well, someone's screaming the at the final? top of their lungs. Yeah, how about the World Cup final? You had Messi and Kylian Mbappe I, just if going Mbappe, back and first forth. Of all, if France would have won, you would have been like Mbappe. Like, yes, he had what, it a hat trick game. Plus, I know. Plus a penalty <laughs> kick. The, yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, Felix's one hitter in Fenway was unreal. Stuff was nasty uh, more than the perfecto. Uh, oh, with my daughter, I saw Nolan Ryan versus Randy Johnson Jr. and Edgar. Um yeah, all these are good. Okay, I do have to say, just going to disagree with this one. For the Beastquake, is that an I'm him game or is that just like a great play? It's an I'm him moment. Moment. Play. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't say, though, that like that guy took over the game in the same way where you have Kobe, right? Like I'm talking about like you're like, I don't know what this man was on, mm-hmm. but he dominated this game. Let me Let me – give Reggie Bush some love too. He is the best football player I've seen with my own eyes. He was so good 
that when we played SC and they were on offense, I would get up. Usually when they're on offense, we're on the, on the sideline getting coached up. As soon as we're done being coached up, I would get up and be like, all right, let's see what he's going to do. Because yeah. this dude, is he made the game look so easy. It's yeah. crazy. Uh, USC versus Fresno State was the most popular game with Bush that people yeah. texted him. Uh, all right, Robert Turman's going to join us next. Then we're going to take a look around the NFL and update here on that Joe Mixon situation. All that coming your way next.